This is an amazing tool, isn't it? I mean, I cannot tell you how much this little device has changed my life and changed the lives of, of all of us. Uh, when I was a kid, you, if you went somewhere, you were never reachable by anybody else. But nowadays, you're reachable by everybody. And if you don't respond immediately, it's like a major dilemma for the person who's calling you. I know that firsthand. I often try to call my wife on, on the phone and she has a habit of shoving it into the bottom of her purse. And so I am impatient and I make the little uh, find my iPhone beep thing go off, which causes her a lot of trouble because sometimes she's in meetings where she shouldn't have to go and get her iPhone. But I'm impatient and I want the answer. That's the way we, all of us are now because we have, because we have these phones. You know, you can, you can track your kids these days. Uh, maybe I shouldn't say that out loud because many of you think that you're doing that without them knowing, but you know, they're on the Find My iPhone or on the Samsung Trace or whatever it is, and uh, you can see where they're driving. If they're driving, you know, over a mountain or something like that, you can track them as they go or... Stuff like that. Never be able to do that before. Never be able to get real-time, you know, knowledge of where they are in the world. The world really, honestly, it does feel smaller. You know, I'm able to FaceTime uh, my my son who's in Austria. Uh, I'm able to talk to people I've I, I've known over the years, and they live all all over the place. It, re it really is an amazing tool, and uh, it's the rise in communication technology has been just stunning over, over my lifetime. And most of us, like I said, freak out when we, when we don't have it. You know what's really interesting, though, is that um, what we are experiencing now is basically what, uh, what the military's had for years in all, all the different countries, uh, the ability to have real-time knowledge of where everybody is at a particular time, the ability to track them, to have, like, live video feeds on them. And of course, you know, it, it makes more sense for them than it does for us. You know, if I, if I miss a phone call or whatever, it's not probably going to be life and death. If I don't have communication with my, my, my family at a particular time, you know, we, we will probably survive, even though at the moment I don't feel like that. But if you don't have communication with the, the military, if, if the headquarters isn't able to contact the people who are on the field, and that's chaos, and it is going to lead to a, a big, big mess and probably a military loss at some level or, or another. Uh, I bring that up because the language of Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 20, which the first half of we, we kind of went through last week, Ephesians 6, 10 to 17, um, it really deals with language of, of, of warfare, of, of military, that we're in this spiritual battle and, and we need to put on the armor of God. And we, we left off at the end of that armor before Paul, in verse 18, switches gears a little bit. But he's still talking about this military image. But in this second part, the part that we're going to study today, he, he's talking more about communication. He's talking more about, okay... In the midst of the battle, what kind of communication ought we have with our headquarters? How ought we fight the battle, and what kind of help can we get by communicating with our headquarters or with our, our Father through prayer? In fact, prayer becomes, in this passage, one of the chief ways that we fight the battle of our faith and fight against the adversary of our souls, the devil. So um, 
I want to spend the next few minutes in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 18 to 20. I want to read it at the front end, and then I want to give you seven marks of what I'm calling battlefield prayer or battlefield communication. How should the way that we're talking to God look when we're in the midst of this spiritual war between now and the time that Christ returns or now and the time that we pass away and go to be with him in glory? So, first, Ephesians 6, verse 18 to 20. Here's here's how it reads. Paul writes, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me, that whenever I speak, words may be given me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly, as I should. There's a lot of stuff here that I want. So I want to break down this passage almost going like phrase by phrase through it, just to show you the the marks of this battlefield prayer. So like I said, there's seven of them. So we're going to try to tick through them pretty quickly here. So here's the first. Um, Paul says that that battlefield prayer should be prayer in the spirit. That's the language he uses. You can see that in verse 18. And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and request. Now, there's a lot of people who look at that passage in the history of the church and have said, oh, that's a reference to something like praying in tongues. That's a reference to uh, a, a praying in a spiritual kind of angelic language. And uh, this is an urging that Paul has for every Christian to pray in a tongue. The problem with that is in, in 1 Corinthians, Paul actually makes a pretty strong argument that not everybody should speak in a tongue, that everybody's got particular gifts and some people are going to be able to speak in tongues and others are not. So it doesn't make sense for him to say this is something that every Christian ought to be able to do here. So if it doesn't mean that, what does it likely mean? And, and most commentators are, are pretty clear about it. It's, it's prayer that is helped by the Holy Spirit. Prayer in the Spirit is prayer that is helped by the Holy Spirit. It's Spirit-motivated. It's guided. It's empowered by the Holy Spirit. One, one guy used this image to try to describe what, what's meant here. Um, it's like a, you know, a, a father takes his son out on a, on a boat. You know, they, they have a boat. Perhaps it's, it's, they're taking it out for the, for the first time and he's, where he's gonna, the, the kid is going to drive it. You know, he's ridden along with his dad all these years, but now he's going to finally be able to sit at the wheel, which is what he's longed for for all these years, and he's going to take it out of the marina and he's going to go out into the open sea. Uh, In order to get out of the marina though, there are different uh, sandbars and things that you have to avoid. And so the father will allow the son to steer, but every once in a while, the father will reach over the son's shoulder and put his hands on his hands and he will steer helping the son, correcting a little bit. The son is going in the right direction, but he needs to make a little course correction so that he doesn't run into the sandbar. So this image is used to say, listen, this is essentially what it's like for us to be praying in the Spirit. We, we head off in a certain direction when, it, when, our, when we come to our prayer. We're convinced that, listen, I'm going to be praying for, you know, my, my, my aunt's hurt foot or whatever. And I go in the direction of praying for my aunt's hurt foot, but then somehow while I'm praying thoughts start rising up in my mind about how actually my aunt's situation is a little bit different than just having a hurt foot. Her situation is also involved with these relational difficulties and, 
and I'm troubled by those relation difficulties in her life, and then that, that leads on to another thought regarding um, her faith and things like so. So we call that a, like a spirit-led prayer, that you started down one direction, and you, you sort of just went where the spirit went, because you and I don't always know what's ahead. We don't always know how to pray. Romans 8 says that. The Spirit sometimes gives groanings. The Spirit gives groanings and intercedes for us and leads. So I've been in prayer meetings before, which are really fantastic. Uh, at first, I thought they were weird um, because, you know, I, I didn't grow up in, in the Christian church much. And so I went, went to these prayer meetings where somebody would say, listen, why don't we just, why don't we just get going and we'll see where the Spirit leads. Now, for me, I'm like, well, what do you mean? We, shouldn't we have a plan? Shouldn't we be able to, all of us, say that we're going to pray for this, 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 and this, and when we're done with that, we're done? Um, but I've been shocked in those prayer meetings to realize that actually the Spirit is very active working in our, in our prayer. So in the midst of this battle, we need to let the Spirit guide us in terms of how we're going to pray. We're committing ourselves to prayer, but ultimately we are going to let the Spirit guide and empower us in the midst of that prayer. So he says first, the first mark is, is praying in the Spirit. Here's the second one. Praying on all occasions. You notice that also in verse 18. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. When I kind of first became a Christian, I was in late junior high school early high school, and uh, I was attending a church at the time. It was a relatively large church. There was a guy who was our Sunday school teacher. I had never really been involved in Sunday school. I had a friend who invited me to it. Uh, his name was Pete, and the teacher, the teacher's, uh, Pete, was, had this huge afro. Okay, you got to remember, this is like in the, in the 80s, and so he had this massive afro and a really fuzzy uh, black mustache. And and Pete was really committed to uh, our group. He would spend a lot of time with us, spend a lot of time trying to uh, instruct us on how it is that we ought to live the Christian life. And one day, the class was about how to pray. And he realized that very few of us were you know, committed to prayer or involved in much prayer. And most of us, when we thought about prayer, were thinking that when you pray, you, you sit down in a, you know, in a quiet corner or you sit underneath a tree in the woods and you, you start praying. And that's what prayer looks like. But he was trying to convince us that that's, that's true, that's what prayer looks like, but it also can look another way. So his strategy was, he said, look, all of you guys, what I want you to do, and this is you know, Sunday morning, you know, it, during, during church, we have, a church, we have a Sunday school, other, the older people have in church. He said, well, I want you guys to go out into the parking lot, and I want you to just wander around and see, just, just start praying, and praying for the things that come to your mind, you know, prayer in the spirit, you know, pray for things that, that, um, that you see, pray for things that have been on your heart, just, just walk and, and pray and see how it goes. Now, I'd never done that before, so I went out and uh, all of my other friends in, who were in the class ended up going out, and for the first, like, two minutes, we did this activity, and we were praying, and of course, after two minutes, when you're 14 years old and you've been given free reign in a parking lot on a Sunday morning, you end up hiding behind some cars, and you end up throwing things at each other or seeing if you can make the car alarms go off or what, whatever, and that's what, we, that's what we did for the rest of the time, but for those two minutes, I learned something really important, and, and that is that there is nothing going on in your life that does not require a kind of prayer or does not elicit a kind of, of prayer. 
You can pray anywhere. You can pray at any time. Pray without ceasing is language that's used in the scriptures. And a lot of people, you know, we sometimes think, well, how in the world am I going to pray without ceasing? That, that sounds like, you know, I'm going to constantly be in prayer all the time and never do anything else. Of course not. And other people say, well, I'm, I'm always going to have a, an attitude of prayer. And that, that doesn't really do, do justice to the language. Pray without ceasing probably means pray as often as you possibly can. So when can you pray? Well... Uh, if you think about it, you can pray in solitude, of course, under the tree. Uh, you know, when you're looking over the vista at the lake, you can pray then, of course. But you can also pray in your car while you're driving to work instead of listening to the radio or whatever. You can spend some time in prayer there. You can pray, as I do, walking between things, that whenever you have a quiet moment, you turn your attention to God and maybe pray for the people that you just met with and you pray for the things that are on your heart because of the meeting you had, or praying for the things that you're going to and asking the Lord's help in that. You can pray while you're waiting. I know that these days we pick up our cell phones and start you know, going through Twitter or Instagram or Facebook or whatever it is, and we start you know, doing that kind of thing, but you, you can also pray. In fact, I've gotten to the, to the point where I actually, I use Twitter. <laughs> and Instagram to, to pray for people. You, sometimes you use Instagram to you know, want what you see on the screen that other people have, or sometimes you use Twitter to just get mad and write m mean things in, in return. But I've started to use it as a, as a prompting to prayer. You know, uh, pray for our world, pray for our leaders, pray for uh, the, the situations that I read in, that are in the lives of other people, even when they're not asking for prayer, just asking the Lord to come. In fact, that's one I pray a lot when I read Twitter is just come Lord Jesus. Uh, because it's a cesspool. But you understand, there's, there's never a moment in, in your life that you can't turn your attention to prayer. And that's what Paul's basically saying, is in the midst of this war, in the midst of this battle, you need to understand that prayer is going to be something that should be continuous for you. That it should be something that is done on all occasions. That there's not a particular occasion that you say, well, this is prayer time and the rest of it is not. So pray in the Spirit. Pray on all occasions. Here's the third one with all kinds of prayers. So uh, verse 18 again, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Uh, I don't know if you've ever watched like uh, those uh, reality football shows or reality when they follow a team around. Um, I, I, I'm addicted to those. I, I love them. There's one called Last Chance You on Netflix, uh, which is a bit salty in places, but it, it's remarkable. You've got the lives of these young men that are being you know, altered by their, their last chance at uh, a junior college in the United States. And a lot of them are troubled kids. You get to follow along with them. One of the things they do in that, in that show, though, that is really interesting, is in all of these football games, before the beginning of the game, what they'll do is they'll get together in a group, and they'll, and they'll get the speech from the coach. You know, go out there and you know, hit them in the mouth and whatever. And then they'll gather together, hold hands, and they'll say the Lord's Prayer. Which is odd, because the rest of the show, you're watching these people's lives, and you're like, wow, they don't really seem like the kind of people who would be committed to Christ. But in the end, they're, they're saying this Lord's Prayer, so it throws you off a little bit. Now, the way that they do it, and the way they do it oftentimes in the States before certain sports, is that they say it kind of as a mantra, like a good luck charm. It's like rub, rubbing the rabbit's foot. It, it's okay, we're going to say these, this Lord's Prayer now so that God is with us on our side. Of course, the other team's saying it as well, and so God's having a difficult time choosing which one. Maybe it's just the team that says it the best, right? 
The Lord's Prayer is actually not supposed to be used as a mantra. It's not given to us. Uh, Jesus didn't say, hey, pray like this, so that we would just repeat the words verbatim. You can do that, but the goal actually of the Lord's Prayer is to give you some categories about the stuff you should pray for. The kinds of prayers, right? So Paul writes here with all kinds of prayers, the kinds of prayers that you can pray. And so if you walk through the Lord's Prayer, you'll see what I mean. It starts in Matthew 6, verse 9, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So that's a prayer of praise. God, I'm, I'm thankful for who you are and what you're doing in, in the world. This is what the, a lot of the Psalms are. You know, we, we give thanks to the Lord. We bless the Lord's name for these reasons. It's, it's what happens when, you know, we get to, get, you know, it's what happens when we spend time with God and we, we really do express a thanks for him and the thanks for all the things in our lives, even the little things. So our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, are prayers of praise. The second verse, verse 10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Like I call those prayers of pain. This is what happens when I, when I look at the news these days. You know, I, I, I watch it and, and I, I repeat that line, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, or come Lord Jesus. Like, God, I want this world to be the way that it ought to be in your kingdom. And I know your kingdom is coming and I want you to bring more of it in our circumstance now, but it's not happening. And it hurts my soul to see the things that are going on in the world. Your kingdom come, Lord. So a prayer of pain. You, the next line, verse 11, of give us today our daily bread. Those are prayers of petition, meaning this is what I need, Lord. Give this to us. Most of our prayers are like this, right? Lord, these are the needs that I have in front of me today, and these are the needs that I feel like need to be covered. So anything that you're anxious about, anything, the scriptures teach in, in Philippians, you know, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, with thanksgiving, through prayer and petition, present your request to God. So what is on your heart? What is the thing that's troubling you? What is the thing that's causing you anxiety? That's the thing that you can, bring, you can bring to God. That's a petition. Lord, I, I want this to happen. I want this relationship to change. Lord, I need your financial help. Lord, I need, your, I, I need your care in this particular area. I need your help in preaching. I need your help in teaching. Lord, I need your help in going and speaking to that person about Christ. And Lord, I need your help to love my husband or wife or kids. You see, they're prayers of petition. Verse 12 says, and forgive our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Well, those are prayers of repentance. So a guy named Jonathan, or George Whitfield was an old a preacher, and he used, to, he, he used to go home in the evenings, and every day he, he would re rehearse what had happened in his life, you know, review it, sorry. And he will, would think, okay, this morning this happened, this happened, this happened. He would try to identify the different places where he felt like perhaps he had, you know, not followed Christ as, as, he, as he ought. And he would just own them and say, Lord, forgive me for that. Lord, forgive me for that. And he'd, he'd rehearse all of that. And his, his goal was, in his mind, to keep short accounts with God. I, I just want to always be ready to ask the Lord's forgiveness, because the Lord is very free and happy to forgive. But he just wanted to identify all the places so nothing would get out of whack, that nothing would be a perpetual sin. So you know, prayers of repentance should be something we do. And the last one, verse 13, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, right? Prayers of protection, which is really appropriate given the passage that we're dealing with here. Satan is on the move. He's prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And so we need to pray that the Lord would protect us from his, 
his work. He's clever. So we need the Lord's wisdom and we need the Lord's courage to, to fight it. But, but you see the point. In every situation we, we face, there's a kind of prayer that, that ought to come out of us, that, that that situation elicits. So our conversation with God doesn't need to stop. It can continue on and on and on because our lives are filled with different kinds of situations that will yield different kinds of, of prayers. So pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers. And then the second part of verse 18, with alertness, number four. Uh, with this in mind, Paul writes, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Be alert. Um, a few years ago, I think 2018, in the beginning of the year, January, there was a, uh, a crazy thing that happened in Hawaii. Uh, some of you will remember it. Um, people were waking up in the morning on this particular day and going about their business. In fact, it was quite early in the morning, so some people weren't even awake. But what was sent to everybody on the island was a text message saying there is a nuclear warhead, a nuclear missile headed our way. This is not a test. Head to, head to shelter. So everybody in Hawaii was notified that there actually was supposedly a North Korean missile. The North Koreans were doing some missile tests in the Sea of Japan, I think, and they, and they had some, someone in uh, Hawaii had pushed the button to say, one of them is on our way here. They genuinely believed that that had happened. And so you had this kind of chaos start to ring through the, the islands. You had, you had kids who were told by their parents, woken up by their parents and said, you need to pack everything into your bag and we need to go immediately to your friend's house where there's a, a bunker underneath. And we, they would get their race into the house, go into the bunker. There wasn't enough food in the bunker. And so the people would start dragging as much food as they possibly could because they had no idea how long they were going to be there. So nobody was prepared at all. Now compare that to what it was like in, in World War II, even in, even in towns in the United States, for example, that you would never think we're going to experience any kind of bombing, like Detroit, which is sort of in the middle of the United States. There were air raid sirens and certain processes that everybody knew was going to happen. In fact, during World War II, uh, there was always messages coming out about how the, the Nazis or the Japanese could, could reach us. You know, they would draw the distance that their bombers could go and say, look, they could reach us. And so be ready at, and alert at any moment. And people would say, would report, there are some Japanese zeros on the horizon. This was a frequent thing, right? People thinking they're seeing something in the distance and reporting it immediately. Uh, there, there were people who said that in, in, the, in the, one of the Great Lakes there, there's a German U-boat we saw. And so they'd report it and they'd go out and try to stop it. People were frequently going into bomb shelters, which are already in Stockton and everything. So what's the difference? Well, one of them knew that they were in a war, World War II, and the other one had no idea. So alertness is something that happens when you know that there's a war going on. And that's really, I think, what Paul's after here. The fact that we Christians are at war should change our demeanor. It should change how ready we are to do battle in prayer. We should recognize that each and every day that we wake up, the, the, the war is raging, the battle is raging, and Satan is after us, and he is trying to send his minions to try to you know, depress us and give us anxiety and curb us away from our commitment to Christ and stop us from spreading the good news of Christ in all places. And so we need to be ready and alert for his attacks and, and be ready to pray to God on you know, for, for in one of those kinds of prayers that I mentioned just a minute ago. So 
So we pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and, and with alertness. The next one, we also with perseverance. Verse 18, with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Always keep on praying. Um, one of our guys up in our office who uh, you might know if you've been around Northview very much, he's one of our pastoral interns. His name's Freddie, and he is a delight. He's honestly a delightful guy, and I really, really like Freddie. He told me the other day uh, that he really loves Mark Birch, who helps to oversee the Immerse program and does a lot. He's our executive pastor of multiplication. He really lo loves Mark Birch. And he really loves Kyle Meeker, who is the one who kind of wrote our Immerse program and, and is developing he, two of our past. He loves Mark and he loves Kyle. He said, but Jeff, I, I just like you. <laughs> and I, I thought, well, that's a, that's a delightful thing to say to me, Freddie, especially for somebody who wants to keep his job. But he said after that, but look, I'm going I'm to make it so that you do love me and that I do love you. Like, I'm not going to give up. I'm, I'm going to keep coming after you. We're going to be buddies in the end, he said. And, and he is really after that. I mean, to be honest, every time I walk out of the church building, he's almost there saying, see ya, Jeff. It's very irritating. And uh, he always wants to hang out. And I don't. See ya, Jeff. Can we get together? Can we do these things? Like, he's really persistent about it. And he laughs about it because he says, you're gonna, you're, I'm, I'm going to win you over eventually, he said. You gotta love his persistence, don't you? It's a lovely image. Um, I don't think persistence and perseverance is something that really marks us these days, especially when it comes in our, to our prayer, prayer lives. What we usually do is say, Lord, here's what it is that I want. And if the Lord doesn't answer, we either say, well, it must be the Lord's will that I, that I don't get that, or it must be whatever, and then we just kind of go on our way. And yet the scriptures are full of examples of People who persist in prayer and where Jesus himself teaches us, hey, you should, you should pray and not give up. He tells a story about uh, a widow who wants justice and she keeps going to an unjust judge and saying, you need to give me justice, give me justice, give me justice. The unjust judge doesn't care about her at all, but he eventually gives in because she's such a pain to him. So Jesus finishes that little statement in Luke 18, verse 6. He says, and the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will, will he keep putting them off? In other words, if the unjust judge acts this way, imagine how a just judge would act. If an unjust judge answers because of persistence, imagine how a just judge would answer because of persistence. So we're encouraged to keep coming and to keep pressing in with God. Our prayers aren't a one-time thing. Keep in the fight, basically, Paul is saying here. Little piece of advice uh, I have used from time to time these little blue dots, and I've placed them on my phone or on a watch or things so that I look at them several times in the day. And I usually have a particular thing I'm praying for when I, when I do that. You know, it's either for a friend or it's for a situation that I'm facing, some wisdom or whatever it is. And I put a blue dot on my phone or whatever, a sticker on something I see frequently. And every time I look at it, I say, Lord, help me in this. Lord, help me in this. Lord, help me in this. It's been a remarkable thing. You'd be shocked at how many times the Lord has answered those prayers, but it's required a certain amount of persistence over time. So, like I commend that to you. It's something you could do just on your own at home. So, with perseverance. Here's the sixth one. For all the Lord's people. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. 
you probably know what happens when an army is going to a location and they're ready to fight the enemy, but the army just sort of has to sit there for a long period of time. It's happened in lots of different wars. And the army sits there for a period of time and they don't have the enemy to fight. So what ends up happening inevitably is that the relationships between the soldiers end up causing friction. And they end up, instead of focusing their energy on the enemy that they're there to fight, they actually start focusing their enemy on the perceived enemy within the camp. Just somebody that they don't, that they don't like. And many an army, many a sports team has been ruined by more focus inside than outside. More focus on backbiting and considering their friend or their comrade as an enemy than recognizing actually my comrade's my comrade, my friend's my friend, and the enemy is out, is out there. I, I'm, I'm saying this because I actually think this is a good, good, good picture of what's happening in the church today. Um, many of us don't know we're in the battle. Uh, many of us are very much at ease in our lives and we're like, yeah, things are great. Uh, and because of that, we wonder, well, what, what are we doing here? And so we end up focusing, I think, on the, on the communities that we're part of, which tend to be church communities, and we're not really focused on you know, reaching out. And so as a, folk, as, as a, as a result, we, we look in and we fight each other and we raise issues with each other because you're not going to like everybody. Even if they're Christian, you're not going to like everybody. And that person gets on my nerves. And we have a history and there's water under the bridge because of what they did. And so we get mad and mad and mad. And so we start thinking that, that is our adversary, when actually that is our friend. And our adversary is the true adversary and enemy of our souls. So we need to keep our focus that way. And one of the things that really will help you in doing that is instead of backbiting with the people that you don't get along with, and by the way, you will not get along with everybody. There are going to be some Christian people that you don't get along with the Freddies of the world. But there are going to be people that you, you don't. So your, your temptation is going to be like, I don't like that person and I really want to speak badly about them to others and think badly about them. But instead, Paul's saying, listen, why instead won't you just pray for them? Why don't you let your frustration be a prompt to pray for all the Lord's people? There's nobody who is a brother or sister in Christ that should be hived off, where you say, that person's not, not worthy of prayer. You'd be shocked at how your attitude towards some people will change because you're committing yourself to pray for them. And after a while, you'll see them more as a brother and sister. You'll be praying more for their protection against the enemy. And your mind will be changed about them being the enemy. And you'll realize who the true enemy is. And your relationship oftentimes will be restored. Oftentimes. Not always, but oftentimes. So we pray for all the Lord's people. And here's the last one. We want to pray for boldness, number seven. Pray also for me, says Paul, that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it, declare it fearlessly as I should. This is a, response, a surprising little statement from Paul from my point of view because when I think of the Apostle Paul, I think of all the stories in like the book of Acts where this guy is going into cities, pro proclaiming the gospel to even those who want to kill him. Those people then in return like grab him, beat him, stone him, drag him out of the city and leave him for dead. And this dude gets back up 
goes back into the city. Like, that's what I think about when I think about Paul. Like, courage, willing to go to Jerusalem when the Spirit of God has been telling him, you're going to go there and you're probably going to die. You're going to be arrested and die. And he's like, I still got to go. I still got to go. I'm not backing down from anything. That's the Paul I think about. And when I, when I think about myself, I'm like, man, I, I'm, not, I'm not like that. I don't have that kind of courage. I find it difficult to talk to my neighbor just about, uh, about their faith or about anything oftentimes. You know, I don't want to look stupid in a culture that kind of gives stink eye to people who talk spiritually. But in this passage, what you end up seeing is that Paul's attitude is, is different here. He's asking for fearlessness, for boldness to make the, known the mystery of the gospel or, and to declare it fearlessly, as I should, he says. So in other words, there's a temptation that you probably well know that when you're called to proclaim the truth of the gospel in a society that doesn't receive it well, that the temptation is to pull back. The temptation is to say, I'm, I'm not going to do that. Or if I do it, I'm going to make it so that uh, it's kind of unclear. I'm going to, I'm going to, Make it muddy a little bit. So it sound, I, I can feel like I'm proclaiming the gospel, proclaiming the truth of what God has said and called people to, but at the same time, I'm kinda, I just sort of want to cut the edges off of it so that people will still like me. This is a real challenge for pastors, to be honest with you. Uh, I, I myself struggle with it from time to time because you, you, know, you know that the passage of Scripture that you're supposed to go before the people is not something that they're going to love. People are not going to like throw roses at you. The likelihood is that they're going to throw email stones at you, and you just don't want to deal with it. After a while, it just gets old. And you're like, I, I just don't want to deal with this anymore because some people are going to be offended if I end up teaching this passage. So you either don't teach the passage, don't teach the doctrine, or you do it in a way that they're not really sure what you said. So as a result, they don't, they don't get angry and we can just sort of move on. Paul is pointing that out and saying, that's the thing we need to be careful of. Like he's sitting in prison, right? He says that he, he, he is an ambassador in change. He's sitting in prison writing this. So he knows full well what will happen if he proclaims the gospel clearly. He knows what full well what will happen if you do. He knows full well what will happen if I do. And the temptation all of us have is to pull back. And that's where Satan is going to win, because if we're not engaged in the battle by prayer and proclamation of the word, what are we doing? We're just sitting there. We're like the guy who's been armed to the hilt with the, with the, the armor of God, who isn't using it. The armor's just sort of sitting there next to us, and we're sitting there eating a cheese sandwich or whatever. So Paul asks and, and pleads for courage. I do want to end, though, by pointing out that there is a reason that Paul actually gives for why you should have courage and why you and I should have ultimate courage when it comes to all of this. Why it is that we should have courage, and as we come to the end of this spiritual warfare series, why it is that we should really move forward in prayer and proclamation without fearing Satan or, or anything. He, it's this little phrase in this passage that I mentioned just a second ago. He says, I'm an ambassador in chains. I'm an ambassador in chains. That's really interesting. That's not a phrase that should be used very often. Ambassadors are not usually put in chains, and there's a reason for that. If you're an ambassador, you're an emissary from a king. So if I'm the king and I want to send, you know, send a, a declaration to another, another country, and I, I will end up sending my ambassador, you know, Mark, perhaps. I'll send Mark to go and declare to them, 
as my representative what it is that, you know, what kinds of terms of peace I'm offering or what kind of treaty that we're supposed to have. So I will send my ambassador to that, my emissary, he'll go and he'll proclaim that. Now, if they end up taking my ambassador and they arrest him and they chain him up and put him in a prison, this is what we call an act of war. They've signaled to me that we're not having any conversations. In fact, we are here to try to punish you for even sending the guy. And we're not going to have a good relationship anymore. In fact, I'm going to come with my troops and I'm going to free my ambassador who is actually a representative of me. When Paul uses this phrase, he's an ambassador in chains, he's basically saying that God has sent me, the king of all ages has sent me to declare the truth to these people, even to Rome, the greatest military power, the greatest society in the world at that time, that Paul was there to proclaim the truth to Rome, and if Rome was going to imprison him, they better realize that the greater king is going to come and make things right. So you and I ought to have confidence in our prayer and in our fight against Satan because we know who sent us. We know who empowers us. We know where we're going, how this is going to end. And so we should walk forward with that kind of boldness and confidence in what we say and how we preach in our awareness of what God is doing in the world and will do in the days ahead. So look, I'm, let me finish all of this series just with this benediction. It's one that we read at the end of our services last week. It's a lovely phrase out of the end of Romans. Verse 16, sorry, chapter 16, verse 20. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you.